1: I'm excited about this next guest because earlier this month, the U.S. Treasury released a report stating that the nation's debt had surpassed $31 trillion for the first time. $31 trillion. Wow. Many are asking, how did we get to this point? What are the biggest factors in the debt getting this high? And so much more. But we're going to find out and get the answers to those questions by asking Mark Goldwine. He is the senior vice president and senior policy director at the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. He joins us now on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. How are you, sir? Uh,
0: I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on.
1: May I call you, Mark?
0: Uh, Mark is fine.
1: All right. Thank you. OK, first of all, I did not realize, you know, when I first thought about it, I went, well, you know, we have so many trillions of dollars. And I looked it up for 2022, and it looks like we are broke because we are not at $31 trillion today. Am I correct?
0: Uh, so there's a few ways to measure debt, but we're either at $25 trillion or $31 trillion. Either way, it's a lot of dollars. Um, it's a record not only in dollars, but even as a share of the economy. Um, it's higher than any time except for one year after World War II.
1: Okay. So the question for me, the big question, is we are here at $31 trillion. How bad is that?
0: The economy is not going to melt down from debt being at $31 trillion, But it's in serious danger if our debt continues to rise rapidly as opposed to us at least slowing the growth. Um, it's in danger of Persistent bouts of high inflation like we're having now, it's in danger of slower economic growth, and it's in some danger, small but not zero, of a financial crisis caused by just an overwhelming amount of debt.
1: Right. You know, the Washington—I'm sorry, not Washington Post, but the um, Associated Press wrote edging that we are edging closer to the statutory ceiling of rough, roughly $31.4 trillion. What do they mean by statutory ceiling?
0: Yeah, so, so there's a cap called the debt limit that basically says you cannot borrow above a certain amount. But every time we hit that cap, we raise it. Right. And there's things we can do to sort of game it, but probably we're going to hit that cap maybe next fall, and politicians need to either raise it or we default.
1: So what got us here?
0: Um, it's, it's no one thing, um, but uh, basically we've had 20 years of fiscal irresponsibility, 22 years of fiscal responsibility across parties where we keep cutting taxes, we keep increasing spending, we don't pay for most things, and we've ignored the largest cost drivers that are already built into the budget, and that's especially the Medicare program and the Social Security program, both of which, by the way, are, are headed towards insolvency in their own right.
1: So how long has it been? Well, it hasn't been that long at all. I know that. I really should ask. The, the money we have given, our government has given to the wealthy um, over the years. We're talking $2 trillion, I believe, was the last one I heard about, uh, read about. Um, and, and if we keep giving it to the wealthy and it's not going to those who really need it, uh, the tax cut, and then you give them more money um, so that they can keep giving and putting in and, and investing in our country. But I don't understand why they get to get the big numbers and then the rest of us, especially the middle class, who pays all of the bills, basically, of this country, why wouldn't they also offer that kind of money to the middle class?
0: Yeah, so in 2017, we did pass a $2 trillion tax cut that we didn't pay for it. Um, it did include middle class as well tax cuts as well as tax cuts for the wealthy and for corporations. Um, my problem isn't with any one tax cut or any one spending increase. It's that we keep doing this over and over again. We keep spending more money. We keep cutting more taxes. We don't pay for it, and we don't think about how to use those dollars efficiently. So some money goes to people that really need it, but in the process we send a lot of money to a lot of people that really don't.
1: Is this the same? Does this happen also for other countries? Do they find a way to make sure that they balance their budgets, or do they find themselves where we are or close to?
0: Yeah. So most most European countries um, have, have some rules that so they can't get their borrowing get too far out of hand. So they don't need balanced budgets, but they have rules that prevent them from getting too far out of out of hands. Um, Most other countries that are are wealthy also have, frankly, more functioning political systems, Um, often because it's just a prime minister. There isn't a president and a Congress that are of different parties. And so, yes, other countries absolutely have deficit and debt problems, but they're a lot better at fixing them than we are.
1: So how do we fix it?
0: Uh, At this point, look, we would need about $7 trillion over the next decade just to keep the debt from not growing fast in the economy. So I'm not talking about paying off the debt. I'm not talking about balancing the budget. I'm just saying having the debt grow at the same pace as the economy, $7 trillion. You can't do that without putting everything on the table. Um, We're going to have to make some reforms to the Medicare program, especially cutting excessive payments we're making to insurance companies, to hospitals for drugs, we're going to have to cap what we spend on defense and non defense. We're going to have to reform Social Security. We're going to need to raise a lot more tax revenue. Uh, at this point, we have to do really a little bit of everything and a lot of some things.
1: When did we learn that it was 31? <laughs> that we were at this point? When did we learn that? You know, who knew um, first? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this didn't.
0: The day before it was 31, it was 30.9 something. So we knew it was coming. We didn't know the exact day because. It sort of depends on the trading. But we knew this was coming. This is not a surprise. And I'm, I'm less worried. I know 31 trillion is a big number, and so that's what folks are worried about. But what I'm more worried about is if you look at our trajectory, again, as, as a share of the economy, because bigger economy can afford more debt. As a share of the economy, historically, our debt has been about half. Right now, the debt is as large as the economy, 100%. Exactly.
1: That's why I feel like we're broke.
0: Be, <laughs> yeah. Um, And that's that's the problem. It would take a full year of everything we produce to pay to pay our debt right now. And on our current course, it's probably going to be 200 percent within 25 years. And by the way, um, based on how politicians act, we're probably going to get there faster.
1: So the the people, right, the Commonwealth, are we the ones that are making the mistakes? I don't think so. I think to get us to thirty one trillion dollars in debt, it has to come from some of those that you mentioned, like um, our military, uh, the Pentagon has so much money to, and we're, we're already engaged in Ukraine and so much more. Where do we start with the big numbers? Where do we need to go and say, we need to pull this back? You suggested Medicaid and Medicare. Am I correct? Medicare.
0: Yeah. Medicare. So I think, so Medicare is the second largest government program, mm-hmm. but it's maybe the best opportunity for um, efficiencies because- so much. Now I'm not talking about cutting benefits, although we could we could argue about some changes in the margins. What I'm talking about is where are we paying certain kinds of hospitals too much money? Where are we overpaying private insurance companies? Where can we spend less on drugs? Where can we encourage more care efficiency? Encourage people to um, buy more generic drugs or take uh, order less unnecessary X-rays. So I think there's a lot we can do in Medicare to get more efficiency. And so I would start there. But yes, we're going to need to cut defense. We're going to need to look at Social Security, both the tax side, raising more revenue, and adjustments to benefits. We're going to need to look at everything. We just The problem is too big to just focus on one part of the budget.
1: So you really just threw a lot of the seniors in, in, under the bus. I mean, <laughs> well, look, really, yeah. seriously, I mean, you did. I don't,
0: yeah, no, I don't, I don't agree with that. Again, so in so Medicare, the types of changes I'm talking about are actually going to make it a better, more value-based
1: program. Tell me more. Tell me more. Uh,
0: So let me give you one little example. Right now, Medicare pays more money if you go to a doctor's office that's inside a hospital versus if you go to the exact same appointment at a private doctor. They pay more for the hospital. We should be paying the same. And if we pay the same for Medicare, it's gonna save the government money. It's also gonna save the seniors money because they'll have less cost sharing. So there's so much we can do to make Medicare more efficient. This isn't about throwing seniors under the bus. It's about making these programs more efficient and actually saving them so they don't go insolvent.
1: I, I find it very difficult to, to, because we talk about Medicare and Medi- Medicaid, excuse me, so often. I mean, every election that comes up, you know, there, there are certain things we talk about, taxes, Medicare, education. You know, they're always thrown into the fray, and none of it is ever corrected. It's never corrected. So here we are at $31 trillion, and if we continue, that number continues to go up. We are we are in desperate need. I mean, we are we are in big trouble. I don't know if the United States can stay the United States the way people see us, the way we help others. The United Nations? Do we need to start dealing with that? Do we need to start cutting back on the United Nations? How far do we go? How much do we have to do in order to get this down? Yeah, no.
0: Look, I, I do worry very much about our standing in the world with all of this debt. But money we give to the United Nations or to NATO or things like that—those are we're talking about single-digit billions of dollars, whereas the Medicare program, for example, is almost a trillion dollars. So we should look everywhere, but we should really look where the, where the money is and where we can get the efficiencies. And, by the way, that also means more taxes. And, and, yes, we talk about this a lot and don't act as much as we should, but we actually just passed a major bill that includes serious reductions to Medicare drug costs that's going to save money for seniors and save money for the federal government. So we know we can do it. We just did it in the Inflation Reduction Act just a few months ago.
1: All right, let's talk a little bit about the leadership in this country. We've had so many presidents talk about this, right? We need to pull back on Medicare. We need to do this. We need to do that. Some of the things you've mentioned we've been talking about for a long time. When will we ever do it? That's the question. Which president <laughs> no, will is, it be that's, that's the... going to do it?
0: Look, that's 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 the $31 trillion question. Because... It's always easier to worry about the next election and not the next generation. And so they've all been kicking Mm the can. Now, maybe with inflation surging so high, with interest rates starting to come up, they're going to see some instant reward to deficit reduction. Usually you don't see it instantly. Usually you see it sort of way in the future. And so maybe there'll be a little more incentive in the next Congress to act. But politicians always like to kick the can if they can. Why? Why? Because the things that you need to do to address the debt affect very specific types of people or very specific interest groups, whereas the benefit benefits everybody a little bit. And so it's easier to just say, well, everyone's going to be a little bit worse off than to have to say to a hospital, we're going to cut your payment, or to say to um, a business, we're going to raise your taxes. And so they don't like to do it. They like to avoid the hard choices, assuming that some future politician will do it, So they can win the next election. We have elections every two years in this country. I'm not suggesting we should have less elections, but it it changes the attention of our leaders. They're not focused on what's best for the country. They're focused on how do I stay, how do I stay in office.
1: It's remarkable to me. It's it's starting to remind me of the story of um, my goodness. What is that island? About 1,200 miles out, or 2,200 miles out from Chile? Um, um, Gosh, with the big heads on it. Forgive me. What did you say, Jonathan? No, 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 not Galapagos. I'll, I'll think of it. But they had a terrible story where they kept f- feasting off of everything, right? Uh, everything that they had, they used it all the way until they had none left. And that's my concern here for our country. Is it going to get to the point where we have nothing left? And if we have nothing left, what happens?
0: Well, I, I don't think it's going to get that bad because we still have a very vibrant economy. And Do here's we? The truth of the matter is... Probably the worst case scenario—I uh, shouldn't say that. Probably the bad case scenario is basically what we're experiencing now. So We have, which is, is, it's very harmful, like this very high inflation. But even this very high inflation, I don't, I don't think this spells the end of the country. Um, but it's gonna, but it could spell the end of our vibrancy. You know, the end of our leadership in the world, the end of our ability to be the largest, most successful country. So, I don't think this is sort of an extinction-level event if we don't stop with that. But That doesn't mean that it's it's it doesn't mean it's not troubling. It's very troubling that we're not dealing with it.
1: It is, and I, I don't know who is going to step forward because it's got to be not just a group of people, but there has to be one single person that knows exactly how to deal with this. Who would you suggest that person be?
0: Well, I don't know. I mean, look, the president of the United States has to take leadership on this issue, and he or she is going to need support of people in both parties. I don't think. I don't think we can solve this with just Democrats or just Republicans. Just Democrats or just Republicans can make progress, but I think the problem is too big. It's going to take both parties, and it's going to take presidential leadership.
1: But it's going to take both parties to come together, and that seems impossible today.
0: It does. It does feel that. Although, you know, we get bits of them coming together. They came together in the infrastructure bill, on the guns bill. Um, so it, it's not impossible, but it does feel, it does feel <laughs> very challenging.
1: It's very challenging. Money talks. It's it's the loudest voice we have in this country. Money or the lack thereof, um, and and it just appears that people are suffering, continuing to suffer during this pandemic, and knowing that we don't have any money left, we're going to have to be borrowing. And I don't even know if other countries are willing to to um, to borrow to to lend fun, funds to us. Are we still at that point? Do we still have relationships where they will continue to? To support us when it comes to this type of debt?
0: Yeah. Yes. I mean, to be honest, lending from other countries is barely is barely going up. It's barely covering our new borrowing. Most of our new borrowing is either coming from the American public mm-hmm. so, or the Federal Reserve. And now the Federal Reserve is pulling back. So we're counting, for the most part, on our own citizens and our own companies to keep buying the debt.
1: Right. And why not, instead of going after Medicare? Cade or Medicare, sorry, um, and trying to pay this down, you know, getting rid of that or pulling back on that. Why don't we go to the countries that haven't paid us back, that aren't paying their way through? Even at the United, um, oh, my goodness, forgive me. I, I have brain fog a little bit from COVID, but it's frustrating to know that there are other countries that haven't paid their debt to us yet. And if we're not going after that first, then why go after Medicare first?
0: Yeah, I mean, both, I mean, again, I just want to reiterate with Medicare is the types of changes that we can make to Medicare are ones that are going to make the program cheaper and better, not the ones that are going to be throwing people off the rolls or, um, you know, dramatically increasing their premiums. Um, we should, again, where there's money to be saved, we should try to save it. Yeah. But, you know, the debt that we owe to very low-income countries Excuse me. The debt we're owed from very, very low-income countries yes. just isn't large relative to the size of our budget. It's large for those countries, but it's not that large to us. And so, we can push for that money harder. But you know, <laughs> it's like um, you know, your household is is spending twenty thousand dollars a month more than you're bringing in income, and instead of looking at you know that your hundred thousand dollar car you're you're hitting up the guy that owes you ten bucks because he hasn't paid you back
1: yeah i hear what you're saying i tell you it's been a pleasure having you mark Goldwine. i wish i had more time with you you are the senior vp and senior policy director uh committee for a responsible federal budget wow responsible federal budget let's see where we're going i'll be paying it <laughs> maybe someday all right thank you so much sir
0: thank you